Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Oh! Welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. I'm your host today, Brendan Glasheen, joined by Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward. That means it's time for another UFC betting preview. We're breaking down UFC Vegas 76 this weekend from the UFC Apex Center in Las Vegas. 12 fights on the card, five main, seven prelims, all the coverage on the ESPN family of networks. If you are new to the program, we dive into underdogs, props, also the fight of the night that Sean and Billy have targeted. And we also dive into some best bets before we go. First, we start with the main event. We have Sean Strickland, the favorite minus 164. Abus Magomedov at plus 128. He is the underdog in this particular fight. Uh, we'll get to Billy Ward's luck ratings as well and apply as needed. Zarillo, your outlook of the fight and how you would like to bet it. Yeah, it was a tough guy to judge because he has 19 seconds of UFC fight time, 19 seconds of cage time in the past three years. So it's tough to say whether he's made improvements to his game, improved his grappling. Uh, we have a pretty good read of what Sean Strickland is, and we can judge the fight based off of what we know about Sean Strickland. Very sharp jab, good striker, puts out good volume but doesn't hit particularly hard. And his fight with Jared Cannonier, which was very close on the scorecards, he likely lost due to damage optics. And Strickland is a former welterweight, moved up to middleweight because he shredded his knee in a motorcycle accident, can't really cut weight as well anymore. Um, and he spends most of his time sparring, and he kind of fights like a guy who spends most of his time sparring. It is a lot of sparring-based action in his fights. You don't see him mix in a ton of grappling. I actually do think he has the grappling upside in this fight. And I think that justifies his potential favoritism. I could see him getting some top time, particularly down the stretch of the final 10 minutes of the fight. His cardio is proven over 25 minutes. He's been in multiple main events. His durability is proven and his takedown defense is proven. He's very difficult to grapple. Um, the problem is he tends to fight to the level of his opponent. And no matter who he's fighting, it tends to be closer to a 50, 50 fight. Even his fight, I think it was Jack Marshman. He fought, huge favorite, he kind of slugged it out in the middle of the cage and made it a high-variance fight with a lot of high-variance exchanges. And even though he's very durable, he has been subsequently knocked out by Alex Pereira. You know, anybody can get knocked out in a cage fight. So Strickland not going to do things that make you super comfortable betting him as a minus 165 favorite. Even if he has potential wrestling advantage, he might not pursue it. He's just going to try to jab up his opponent, out volume over the course of 25 minutes. And Given that potential cardio advantage over the final 10 minutes on top of the grappling upside, I think you could justify his favoritism. I would look for more valuable ways to play him, though. Maybe going with the cardio angle, betting Strickland to win in round three at 1,400, round four, 1,600, round five, 20 to one. You know, you sprinkle all three of those and hope he gets a stoppage in rounds three or four or five. Kind of structure it, you know, a tenth of a unit each or what have you. Um, or... A same game parlay with Strickland in the over one and a half rounds. I think as the final or as the fight ticks on, it should eventually lend itself more towards his winning minutes and taking over on 
uh, you know, class and shrink the schedule that he's had in the past. So, yeah, it's tough to read, given the fact that Avis has not had much cage time in three years. But Strickland has established himself as a pretty comfortable top five middleweight. Um, and he's got a good, good well-rounded skill set. And, you know, I, I think you could justify the favoritism. I just, I, not a guy you want to lay. We talked about Jamal Emmers last week, a guy that I want to bet as an underdog, not a favorite. Um, and that kind of applies to Strickland too, just because the fight IQ issues are going to get him in trouble or going to push his fights closer to 50, 50, just given the way he fights. Billy, I'm reading your luck ratings. You think the line is fairly valued. How would you like to approach betting the main event? Yeah, you know, and Sean talked about why this is a pretty good line, why we can understand the favoritism on Strickland. I, I definitely don't expect him to grapple. He didn't grapple at all against um, Pahea, who's arguably both the best striker and worst grappler in the division. And even then he didn't grapple. So I don't know what situation, if you're Sean Strickland, like what more would you need to actually try to wrestle ever, despite being really good at it by all accounts. So, you know, don't really expect that. But, you know, Sean talked about it a little bit. He doesn't provide a lot of power at middleweight. I believe he hasn't finished any of his middleweight fights. He has one over Brendan Allen, but it was a catchweight. So I'm looking to the decision, no bets or finish only props. You can get Magomedov at minus 126 on those props. For people who aren't familiar, the way that works is if it goes to a decision, your bet is a void, doesn't matter who wins. If there's a finish, then the bet has action. Obviously, you need Magomedov. Going into this one, if you told me this one ended in knockout, especially early for all the reasons Sean talked about, I would be very, very confident that Magomedov was the one who picked it up. Came out guns blazing in his first UFC fight, ton of finishes, looks to have a lot of power, kind of wild. I really don't like him in a five-round fight, so you know it could be a possible live betting opportunity on Strickland for the reasons Zerillo talked about. But other than that, yeah, you know, not going to lay the juice on Strickland and happy to pay a little bit extra just to remove the decision and hope Abus can survive down the stretch in rounds four and five. Favorite underdog for the coming weekend. You're both on the same page here. The consensus underdog. It feels like we're doing a baseball podcast, Cirillo. Uh, who is it? Yeah, Benoit St. Denis at plus 260. Uh, going against the older of the two Bonfim brothers, the Bonfim brother who, in my opinion, has less upside, been submitted multiple times. St. Denis, the bigger man, two inches taller, three inch reach advantage, and he hits significantly harder. I think Bonfim has the speed advantage, probably the technical advantage, and is going to look good uh, when they're standing at, you know, distant striking range. But Saint-Denis is going to consistently press forward, force this to be a brawl, make it ugly. And I think the small cage in the apex in particular is really going to help him. It just, Bonfim is a guy who, if you give him space on the outside, can really carve you up with his speed. But if you put him in a smaller cage against a guy who's going to close that distance, make things dirty and make things a brawl, that is definitely to his disadvantage. On top of the fact that, Saint-Denis is probably the stronger man and likely, uh, in my opinion, the better wrestler. We haven't really seen Bonfim a ton off of his back. Doesn't seem to be a particularly dynamic submission artist. And we have, as I said, seen him submitted in the past. But also, on you know, on top of the factors that Saint-Denis is the grappling upside, Saint-Denis hits harder, right? All things that I want to see when I'm betting an underdog. I think also just looking at the betting market and the price overcorrection here on Bonfim, who was a pick and price against Terrence McKinney, who is also a very high variance fighter. Now he's minus 300 here against Benoit Saint-Denis, who I think is a significantly better chance of beating him than Terrence McKinney did, especially over the course of a 15-minute fight. So Benoit Saint-Denis for me, plus 260. I know Billy's on him as well. I'm curious to hear if Billy arrived at that reasoning for any other 
uh, points other than the ones I made. But yeah, massive price over correction and happy to bet any fighter who has the grappling upside of plus money. All right, Billy, what do you got? Anything to add? Yeah, so I, I had this one in our sheet before I realized Sean was betting it too. And I was really excited that he was on it because I thought I was missing something when I looked at the line. Like, I, I didn't know if it was a typo or there's some horrible injury on BSD that I didn't realize. Because a year or two ago, we were thinking just as highly of BSD as we were of Bonfim. He lost his UFC debut. Wasn't a great fight, but I'm kind of willing to overlook that to an extent. Two stoppages since then. Much bigger guy. That was one of the notes I put in mind. I think Bonfim should probably go down to featherweight, at least based on his frame. I think his brother's a featherweight, which maybe explains why they don't want to compete in the same weight class, but not really big enough frame-wise for lightweight. And yeah, he knocked out Terrence McKinney, but McKinney's wild, man. Like anyone can catch McKinney once he empties his gas tank. So that wasn't enough for me to say you should be minus 300. I think Bonfim should be the favorite here, but I'd make it like minus 150, maybe minus 200 Bonfim at worst. So getting the plus 250, plus 260 on BSD. Very glad someone else was on it because I thought I was just missing something. Want to point out the the St. Denis debut up a weight class at Walterweight against yeah. Eliza Zaleski Santos, who's an absolute killer. Took that fight on short notice. Probably could have been stopped like 10 different times. It was one of the worst refereeing jobs in UFC history. Uh, but it goes to show you St. Denis, who was never knocked down in that fight, by the way, is insanely durable. This guy, I believe, was French Special Forces. Uh, he's an actual killer. We can't say that about many guys who get in the UFC octagon, but Benoit Saint-Denis is one of the most dangerous guys who I think has ever entered the cage. Um, he's a scary man. Both fighters 27, not like there's an age differential here. Both potentially improving, given their age range. So, yeah, I... I I'm with Billy in terms of like the hype thing. I feel like St. Denis had a ton of hype even after that, uh, that debut loss, his subsequent fight against Nicholas Stolte. And then his win over Gabriel Miranda in France, he's French, got the French crowd popping behind him. So yeah, it seems like a guy that the UFC would be happy if he won and they could continue promoting him because they, they seem to highlight him on that France card. And, you know, this is his next fight after that they've given him. So surprised he's actually not fighting in front of a crowd because this, this is a banger likely fight of the night. I know we're going to talk about our fight of the night coming up, but I think uh, if I was going to bet on a prop for a fight to be fight of the night, it would be St. Denis Bonfim. And and that was his only career loss too. So he's never lost on his own weight class. He's never lost with a full training camp. You know, not that Bonfim has a ton of losses or anything either. His last loss, he was like 15 years old or something because he was somehow a pro as a teenager. But still, like that shouldn't be that wide of a line. It should be much closer. So consensus dogs, but for the fight of the night, Differing opinions. Grant Dawson, Demir Ismagulov, both at minus 110 at FanDuel, lightweight match. Also on the main card, both fighters at minus 110. I'm, I'm always, fa- it's not often you both go against each other. So I'm fascinated by this discussion we might have here. Sean, what direction are you going in, Dawson or Ismagulov? We seem to be on the opposite side of one another in fights that involve guys who are back taken body lock specialists. Uh, Grant Dawson is. Very good at taking the back, locking in the body triangle, but I feel like Billy is normally on these guys, and I'm on the guy who's the striker who I think has a chance of getting out of that body lock and winning the striking on the feet. So, yes, another fight where Billy and I are kind of on opposite sides of, uh, like the Raul Rosas-Christian Rodriguez fight, where it may determine based on one position and whether Dawson is able of getting the fight to the ground, taking the back, locking in that body triangle, and potentially securing dominant position if not finishing the fight. 
Dawson, a guy, 8-0-1 in the UFC, but he's really impressed me because he keeps getting better. When I first started betting his fights, I thought he had terrible cardio. I was consistently looking to bet against him in round three. And generally, we don't see these fighters improve their cardio. Cardio seems like it's a difficult thing to make better. I don't know how you do it beyond running or doing word work or flipping tires or what have you. Billy would probably have a better idea for me than that. But Dawson finished both of his opponents past few fights in round three. His cardio has looked much better. He pushes an aggressive pace, really exhausts his opponents. And I think it's partially due to the camp switch. He was training with James Krause. Krause got suspended by the sport for gambling. That camp went through a bunch of turmoil. But he left to go to American Top Team, which is one of the top camps in the sport. And the improvements have been very noticeable for Grant Dawson. So I think this is a guy who's capable of fighting for a belt. Don't think he's necessarily capable of being a champion or defending the belt multiple times. But I absolutely think given his style, his aggressive grappling style, suffocating style, that he has this sort of meta style that you need to get yourself into the title picture. Demiris Magula, very, very fantastic striker, really slick. Uh, we've seen him grappled in the past. I think it's possible that he can deny the takedowns and make this not competitive, but win the fight by keeping it on the feet. But I'm going to go with the grappler and all of the grappling upside at a pick and price. I would make Dawson closer to 60%. I would make any kind of this matchup where you have striker versus grappler and they're both very good around 60% towards the grappler. I just think the grappling upside gives Dawson more dominant potential. You know, he could get one dominant round, get a 10-8 round, and put himself in a position where you're getting a push at worst just because he got that 10-8 round. So more upside for a grappler, you know, towards dominance and towards getting those 10-8 rounds just pushes the money line projection in their direction. But, you know, it's certainly going to see the the case for the arguments Billy's going to make for Ishmagulov. And like I said, I think it may come down to that one position whether Shmugulov is able to get out of the body triangle or not. Dawson has 12 takedowns in his last three fights combined. He's got the better significant strike accuracy. Also, his takedown average, as I just highlighted, has been solid lately. So, Billy, why are you going the other way? So, there's a lot of things that Sean got to that actually played into what I'm thinking. First, on, on the significant strike accuracy, we can toss that out because all of Grant Dawson's significant strikes are when he has your back or mount or something. He's not standing in boxing. Like, Brendan, you could get 100% significant strike accuracy if you could sit on top of somebody while you did it. So that doesn't really tell yeah, me. I'm going to go flip some tires too after this pod and get much better. But yeah, No, I'm glad Sean brought up the cardio. I don't think Dawson had bad cardio. I don't think Dawson's cardio has gotten better. I think like most guys, it's not so much that his cardio is the issue it's that when he fights guys that he has to take down over and over and over again to keep them down he gets tired that's really hard to do i've said this on the podcast before you know our producer uncle mitch likes to tease me about it but it's like the hardest thing to do is to continuously take someone down and have them get back up and that's why he looked better in his last couple fights against you know jared gordon kind of accepted the position a little bit more if you look at his uh draw against oh i'm blanking on the name right now who, who did dawson have the draw with um, Ricky Glenn. Yeah, Ricky Glenn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you look at that fight, Glenn, he was able to take Glenn down in the first couple of rounds, but Glenn kept getting back up, kept getting back up. And then Glenn really put him, put it on him in the third round because those takedowns stopped coming. He didn't have the gas tank. I think that makes it a really tough matchup with Ismagulov. Ismagulov just fought Armin Saryukian, very close fight. And you look at the stats, you see, wow, Armin took him down seven times. 
That means he had to get up at least four, and it was actually more than that because none of the rounds ended with Armin in dominant position. Ismagulov, like, as soon as he got taken down by Sarakian, immediately back up. Most of the control time from Sarakian was against the fence or in standing clinch positions. And I, I just think that I'm not saying Dawson has bad cardio or Ismagulov has better cardio, but Dawson has to do the harder work here because when this one's standing, Ismagulov has a huge advantage. It's a little bit longer, far better striker. Dawson's a little bit sloppy. And I just think down the stretch and even starting in the second round, Dawson's going to have a really hard time if he can't get to those positions, take a little break while he's winning some minutes, because once he gets back to his feet, he's going to be lost. So I'm betting Demir Ismagulov on the money line. He's also going to be my prop squad pick, which we're going to lean into in a second. But for similar reasons, one fighter has to get takedowns here. The other one doesn't. Ismagulov can grapple. We used to think of him as a grappler until his last couple of fights. So he's got some takedown upside of his own. But if neither of them get takedowns, it's Demir's fight. Uncle Mitch probably watches Batman Begins. You know, why do we fall, Bruce, to learn to pick ourselves up? That's what he falls back on for a inspiration. Moving on to our top props. Uh, most of our discussion has been uh, on the main card. Any uh, looks on the prelims, possibly? I know Zarillo is actually going to look to another direction, possibly, for a prop. I This might be the featured prelim, Kevin Lee and Fakhardinov. Uh, I like this fight to go to a decision. Kevin Lee making his return to the UFC. His last fight came in Eagle FC about 16 months ago against Diego Sanchez. He shredded his knee on the first kick of the fight, has subsequently had double knee surgery. But even at 30 years old, Kevin Lee, a guy who has had a ton of injuries, younger actually than his opponent, but in terms of fight age, fight wear and tear, seems like Kevin Lee is on the downside of his career, having double knee surgery, never great for an MMA fighter. Just take a look at the videos of Tony Ferguson moving around pre-fight from earlier in his career to his last fight against Nate Diaz. When your knees go... You are just a different athlete. I don't care if you get them repaired. You're still going to be significantly reduced in terms of your explosiveness. In terms of how this fight plays out, though, Kevin Lee, really good takedown defense, good wrestler. Um, actually has a three-inch reach advantage. He is the much smaller man, though. He's four inches shorter. Fakhardinov, a former middleweight. Kevin Lee, a former lightweight who can no longer cut weight, now fighting at welterweight. He used to have trouble making lightweight, always was kind of a super lightweight you know, closer to 160 when he weighed in than 155. But, uh, you know, given the fact that Lee's moved up to welterweight, Fakhardinov never finished or never knocked out at least. Um, I, I think Lee's knockout chances are pretty low. He's also very durable, though, and can take a beating. So I wouldn't expect Fakhardinov to knock him out. And even when Fakhardinov gets top time, he's not a particularly aggressive finisher. So unless Lee gets on top, and is able to go to work, I don't really see this fight finishing. Uh, I think both guys can stay reasonably safe on the ground. I think both guys are reasonably durable, and I don't think either hits particularly hard. So this fight to go to a decision at minus 125, I think is a pretty solid bet. My biggest worry is Lee coming back off of the surgeries and potentially, you know, he gets kicked and his knee blows out and he goes down and can't get up or what have you. But an injury-based stoppage uh, would be my primary concern here aside from Lee potentially getting a submission. And then Billy's Billy's going to talk about, you know, who he's betting in terms of the side in this matchup. But uh, so I don't want to take away too much from what he's going to say. Uh, and I don't have a particular lean, but I do think Lee can make this competitive at least early. He doesn't have the best gas tank. He tends to tire out uh, midway through his fights. I think Fokardinov can take over late, but at least for the first, you know, five, seven minutes when Lee is fresh, 
to deny the takedowns, keep this one on the feet. I actually think he can make this reasonably competitive. Uh, but, you know, definitely prefer the fight to go to a decision in what I expect to be a competitive fight instead of, you know, side or taking the finish prompt. Yep, that fight is the featured uh, on the pre. It is featured on the prelim card. Uh, Lee and Fakradinov. Billy, you said you'd go back to the fight of the night. There is an angle you like on Ismagulov in the prop market. Yeah, round three at more than plus two thousand odds. If you look at the last few Grant Dawson fights, he was hurt early against Mark Madsen, kind of dominated late, which is fine. Different kind of style of fight but jared gordon almost finished him in round three you see the finish by grant dawson around three and think oh good cardio he won it you know in the late minutes gordon had him hurt pretty good with his strikes in there and then the fight prior to that against ricky glenn glenn was beating him up standing that fight actually ended with glenn holding on to a submission and maybe kind of sort of dawson was unconscious when the bell rang but woke up in time to make it look like he wasn't so that's two of his last three fights where he's kind of hit a wall there and ran into some trouble in the third round. Ismagulov, much better striker than any of those people he's fought before. If I'm Ismagulov, I'm letting him tire himself out in the first round or two, get back up, make him work, make him work, and then pouring it on in round three after Dawson's gotten tired of wrestling. So plus 2,200 odds. Obviously, this isn't, you know, bet a whole unit on it, but I like that as well as the Ismagulov uh, money line. Okay, and as we normally do, we wrap with best bets. In some cases, our final bets because we think they're all best bets if you've heard that before sorry to reiterate but it's important for our new listeners Zarillo, where are you looking for a final bet yeah first fight on the card but going even off about plus 120 like it down to plus 110 or so against romanov um there's a massive cardio discrepancy in this matchup and romanov who typically fades after five to seven minutes last fight he quit after missing one takedown against alexander volkov and Bogoy Ivanov has been taken out in the past, but in terms of durability, this guy is as tough as they come. Uh, survived being stabbed nine times as a bouncer at a club in Bulgaria. Uh, but I, I mean, you literally have to kill this guy. And unless Romanov submits him inside of five minutes, I think he's going to be in deep trouble because Ivanov has pretty good cardio for a heavyweight. You know, I could see Romanov landing a takedown in round one, but Ivanov can probably stay safe. And if he does... Romanov is probably not going to be able to get the takedown again in round two. He will be completely gassed out. So Ivanov, pre-fight, fine bet. But I prefer him live after round one. I think he'll get a better number, especially if Romanov lands the takedown. And then his round two, plus 1,000, and round three props, 1,700, I think are good stabs as well, given the fact that I expect Romanov to be huffing and puffing over the final 10 minutes, while Ivanov should be relatively fresh. So we'll go Ivanov, variety directions, live bet probably the best entry but i have no issue taking him pre-fight and taking the round two and round three stabs as well all right and uh to wrap billy again those luck ratings you can find them in the action app actionnetwork.com your last fight or one of your uh one of the fights in the middle of the article is you, you highlighted the fight that zarillo just discussed in the in the prop discussion but you are going to go to uh Fakhradinov. yeah before we get to that just wanted to comment on sean's best bet yep. flat Classic wait for the weigh-ins before you make this bet. Uh, Romanov was looking like progressively in better shape for like three or four fights. Like he was getting all jacked and lean. And then he showed up last time looking like Santa Claus. So I have no idea what happened. That probably something to do with why he quit after not getting a takedown, being in worse shape. So if he comes in looking all shredded and like prime Brock Lesnar, I'm probably not going to bet on Ivanov. If he comes in looking as bad as he did last time, Sean's bet makes total sense as well as the live angles and all the other spot so yeah definitely wait it's we got about an hour till weigh-ins i think that'll give us some good insight there 
But as far as mine, I'm looking at Fakhradinov, as we mentioned. Really, Sean kind of got most of the points I wanted to hit when saying why it's going to go to a decision. The biggest one, Kevin Lee with no knees is going to be slower than Renat Fakhradinov. And Kevin Lee, a former lightweight stepping up, is going to be smaller than Renat Fakhradinov, who's coming down from middleweight. So we got a guy who's slower, smaller. He's theoretically younger, but I feel like he's been 30 for a decade now. Like, if you told me Kevin Lee was 38, I would have believed you five minutes ago. So it minus you can get as low as minus 190 on Renat. I pointed that out in the luck ratings. Didn't think that would last. It hasn't at FanDuel, but if you shop around, you can get some good lines. I just don't think Kevin Lee has it anymore. You know, didn't look great against Diego Sanchez. Obviously, the knee injuries played something had something to do with that. But Diego's in his 40s and not, you know, much of a threat anymore either. And didn't look good there. I think this is one where we're building up, you know, the latest Russian hype grappler guy. He's going to be far more athletic, far bigger, probably win the striking, and then also have a good chance of getting the takedowns too. So don't love laying that kind of juice on my fight of the night. You could definitely parlay it with a over one and a half or something like that to cut some of that, but I'm okay with the money line this time. Any thoughts there, Zarello? I know you had some thoughts on Fakradinov, but anything to add on a potential money line play? No, no. I I think, you know, that that same game parlay, the over one and a half, maybe Fakradinov by decision. I think, you know, those might be slightly better prices and encompass more of his win condition than just the straight money line play, just because I don't see a finish happening in this fight. So any iteration, especially with Lee's history of uh, tiring out the longer his fights go, any iteration of Fakradinov, and the fight going longer, as Billy said, over one and a half or, you know, to go to a decision, I think, are solid ways to play it. But I'm just going to stick with the fight to go to a decision at minus 125. I don't want to deal with the apex judging and, you know, Kevin Lee's popularity. And who knows, uh, with his with his brother becoming more popular than he is, uh, maybe the UFC wants to continue to hype Kevin Lee up. But, uh, yeah, nah, it's, the, it's a fight to go correct. to decision for me. Keith Lee, the food reviewer. Food reviewer, that was it. All right, fellas, great work. Billy Ward, Sean Zarello, find them in the Action app if they have anything to add, especially those uh, live plays after a certain round when they possibly add something, if it applies to what they've discussed today on the podcast. All the fights are available on the ESPN family of networks. Prelims start at 4 Eastern, and then 7 Eastern, the main card gets underway. Uh, 7 Eastern in the evening, of course. Last week was more of an afternoon, midday special. So for those guys, Brendan Glasheen, thanks for tuning into our UFC betting preview. We will be back next week. We'll also have uh, the video version, the weigh-in. If you are more, you want to see our beautiful faces, we've got the weigh-in next week as well. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Thanks for listening to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.